What's up and welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown, and I'm super excited to welcome Natasha Hastings on the podcast today, you guys. She is a not one, but two-time Olympic gold medalist, you guys, in track and field. Beyond that, she is so multifaceted. She's doing so many incredible things. Uh, Just being an Olympic gold medalist is kind of the tipping point for all of the things that she does. She is just, just is such an incredible athlete and human being. Uh, and I love what she's working on and all the things that she's doing. So she's created the Natasha Hastings foundation where she works with young girls to teach them about body image and self-love, which is obviously wildly important to learn those foundational things as a young girl because they carry on into our adulthood. She's also created her own beauty line, the 400M Diva. And so you definitely need to check that out. She has her own YouTube talk show, Tea with Tasha. She is I have the pleasure and honor of also being on the Under Armour team with her. She is an Under Armour sponsored athlete. uh, And she's currently studying to become a licensed therapist. She learned a lot through her athletic career um, about sports psychology. And uh, just as being a single mom, she learned, you know, that maybe therapy would be a great avenue for her to jump into when she kind of experienced some, you know, things that we all go through, but low points in life. And so she wants to give back now, become a therapist herself. And I just think she's such an incredible, multifaceted human being. And so we are going to get all the way into what she's working on and what's going on in her life. Um, And so let's get into it. Here we go. Thanks for being on today. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I was so excited when I heard you wanted me to come on. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it. So thanks. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Of course. I feel like this might be, you know, you have two Olympic gold medals. You are a mom. You have, you know, your beauty line. You have so many things, your foundation that you have going on and that you're passionate and you care about. I feel like the best place to start though, I like to begin at the beginning. And so I kind of want to know what your story is, what really kind of led you to track and field in the first place. Um, and I think that's kind of where I want to start. Sure. From your perspective of how you got to where you are. I was born into the sport is my argument or my story. Um, both of my parents actually ran track. Um, both of my parents are actually immigrants. Um, my father migrated from Jamaica. My mom migrated from Trinidad, but she actually spent most of her life in London. But so they met in college because of track. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so of course I like saw pictures all over the house. My dad was a coach at their alma mater. So like, I just, I was just exposed to it. Like I would go to practice with him and I would try to race the guys. Um, and then my mom would take me to these track meets called um, Colgate Women's Games. That's actually still held in New York City. Um And my coach, who 
that's a funny story, but I'll save the time. Um, <laughs> my coach discovered I mean, we love funny stories. <laughs> um, his name is Sean London, but um, I was nine and I joined the team then. And he pretty much coached me from then to the time I went off to college. Um, there was a couple of years in there where I went to another team, but for the most part, I had the same coach from the time I officially joined a team and left for college. So you're probably someone who would say environment is everything when it comes to success then. Yeah. Funny enough, I, I was doing homework before um, <laughs> I came on here and I'm actually studying addictions right now. And environment is a huge risk factor when it comes to people developing. So yes, I am a, a not an environmentalist, but one that does believe environment is a factor in the habits we develop. I like that though. I like that calling yourself an environmentalist, <laughs> different kind of environment, like your, your ecosystem, right? Your environment, how, who you surround yourself with. So yeah. I know, like I said, that mindset is something that's like super important to both of us. Uh, and it's a big part of your, you know, training, you know, now, but it wasn't always a big part of your training. And so I want to talk really about, and and maybe we go back even as far as like your parents, like, you know, they found a lot of success that was kind of bestowed on you in terms of the environment you grew up in, but was mindset a part of their training? Uh, and just kind of the way mindset has evolved over the years in the athletic world and yeah. how important it is. Who that was loaded? Cause I don't know where to begin. Um, <laughs> I don't know that um, how aware of our mindsets my parents were. I think they were aware from the standpoint of like teaching the the basics about sport, right? Work hard, discipline, um, self-esteem, those kind of things. But as far as like the language in which we use towards ourselves, you know, how we treat ourselves, how we view ourselves. I can say I got a lot of it from my mom. My mom modeled certain behaviors and I repeated those same behaviors. So it's it's interesting when we have, you know, certain conversations about things that I'm overcoming or things that she struggled with or struggling with. And it's like, man, you modeled that behavior for me. And we didn't necessarily realize that it wasn't the right behavior or even have the a tool, the tools, excuse me, to address those behaviors, but because it was modeled for us and something else wasn't modeled for me, that's what I picked up on. Um, right. I would say I, it was probably, um, not probably, it wasn't until the age of 25, 26-ish, 26-ish when I had my kind of rebirth <laughs> in in the sport where I signed up with a, a particular sports psychologist where I realized the power of my mindset. Before this point, I had had experiences with sports psychologists. Um, when I got here to college here at the University of South Carolina, I had worked with a sports psychologist a couple of times, but I think I was young. I wasn't really like I was into it, but I wasn't really all the way bought into it. And then, you know, as an adult, you know, everybody's kind of closer. It's it's like a, a just a little bit that makes the huge difference in terms of our right. performance. And, you know, as, as a high school athlete, as a collegiate athlete, I don't want to say it's easy because I definitely worked really, really hard to be elite. But at the collegiate level, it gets a little bit more competitive. And at the professional level, <laughs> it gets 
far more competitive. And as a child, I will say that a lot of my self-worth was attached to my performance. And it wasn't until I was about 25, 26 that I started to see the problem with that and addressing that. That is a deep, deep moment, I feel like, right there. Because I think whether you're a professional athlete or not, I think so many, and I think I even talked about it literally in my Souls Lego class this morning, mm-hmm. is that, you know, finding our worthiness and deciding whether or not we are enough is not derived from how many things we can check off of a list or cross off of a, a list. It's, you know, we ha- we're born with our own worthiness and we're born with you know, having everything that we need and being enough. But we, you know, there's people who are the most successful people in the world who still don't feel like they are enough. So it's not about how many accolades we can, you know, gather or about the times when we fail or don't or succeed or whatever it is. It really has to be something that we can learn to like be with ourselves and find worthiness in exactly where we are. And I, I feel like that's such a powerful thing um, that you're talking about. And also I feel like the way that mindset has kind of come into things is like before I feel like in terms of like our parents, you know, and even us growing up, I think too, it was really just get out of your head. That was the only piece of like, I feel like mindset coaching. Yeah, and then what do I do once I'm out of my head though? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, I just remember that, like, I mean, I played sports in in high school and that's really what the biggest, that was like the depth of what my coach would say, just get out of your head, get out of your head. Like your serves aren't going over the net in volleyball. Like all of a sudden I hit a rut or something. And all of a sudden, like my serves kept hitting the net and it's like, you just got to get out of your head. (laughs) I'm like, how? And now I feel like it's really transformed into instead get in your head Mm -hmm. is is really what it's all about is, is figure out like what's going on, what's working, what's no longer working and and what can we do better and how can we see things differently? Um, and so you, I feel like, you know, you have some devastating losses along the way, you know, mixed in with your incredible successes. And you were talking about when we sat on that panel together, that those, those low points specifically, you know, probably when you were in Oregon um, and not qualifying when you felt like you were at the top of your game. Mm -hmm. That was the pinnacle, if I'm getting this right, um, when you started introducing mindset really into your career. Um, So let's talk about that day. And I know it's probably hard to go to that day. No, uh, it's not hard. I've come to terms with that. And (laughs) another funny story, but like, do we have time? Um, But I have a tremendous amount of wins. And um, we spend a lot of time in our failures and how we feel in those failures. And something that I have realized and I've heard a lot of successful people say over time too, is that I've learned a lot more from my failures than I've ever learned from any of my wins. Um, But that being said, um, there's power in embracing failure. There's power in not being afraid of failure. But in that, I do still want to be successful. (laughs) And so, you know, part of being successful is embracing that, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I'm going to give my best self and my best effort to what it is that I'm giving or what it is that I'm attempting rather. But if I'm going into it with a defeated mindset... Um, or a mindset where my performance determines my worth, or I'm speaking poorly to myself, I don't believe in myself, I'm saying things to myself that I wouldn't say to my teammate or my best friend, how can I expect to be 
successful. So, you know, I think that all of these things are part of the journey and the more that we're willing to accept the journey and learn from those, those steps in the journey, um, the more successful that we can be. So yeah, I had, you know, I was at the Olympic trials at the age of 25 or 26, 25, I think anyway, somewhere in there, (laughs) I was at the Olympic trials. That's the age where like, I'm supposed to be like at my prime. I don't make the team. Um, And again, speaking of my worth being in my success, up until that point in my career, um, I tried out for a U.S. team every single year from the time I was 15. Never happened that I didn't make the team. So now at the time where I'm at the prime, (laughs) you know, what is supposed to be the prime of my career, I didn't make the team. And I mean, I went through the gamut of emotions. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm quitting. Um, I'm going back to school. I always had the plan of going back to school. I walked home from the stadium or walked from the stadium back to the hotel. So everybody let me go through my thing. Um, And then my mom gave me the phone number to, well, we had a conversation, but she gave me the phone number to a sports psychologist that was actually sitting next to her in the stands. Wow. Um, yeah. And he'd been watching me over the years and, you know, he basically said like, I think your daughter's talented, but I don't think she's tapped into her potential. So, um, I relent <laughs> and make the phone call to this, this psychologist. And, um, our very first session, he asked me, so, you know, what are, what are you thinking when you're standing on the line? And it was everything negative. I was like, I don't want to be here. This is about to hurt. Um, I don't belong here. Why am I here? Okay, it's only going to be 51 seconds of pain. And I'll never forget him saying to me, um, my God, if that's the way you're speaking to yourself, you've lost the race before the gun has even gone off. Wow. And so that year, um, when I tell this part of the story, <laughs> I am um, cautionary because I feel like it's very simplified or it sounds oversimplified, but it is a very hard practice. And it took something from that first phone call in September all the way through that season um, up to May when I started to see like the results of like the second you have a negative thought, we've got to change that to a positive thought. You have to know that you're putting in, you're physically putting in great reps at practice in the weight room. You're doing the recovery things. You're doing all of the physical things, but the mental reps count just as much as the physical reps. How are you visualizing yourself as you perform? Are you visualizing the race? Are you visualizing how you want your feet to feel when you strike the ground, like all of these things led into me having one of the most successful seasons of my career from having the most devastating season of my career. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's sometimes it's, it's like this oversimplified, like I just started speaking well to myself <laughs> and it all turned right. around for me. And it is that simple. However, putting it into practice is is difficult and it's it's no different from going to the gym every day and and pounding it. You you have to practice it every single day. You you're you're still going to have those moments where you question yourself, but you've got to be able to tap into that toolbox and say, "Okay, this is what I'm feeling. Why am I feeling this? How do I change this?" 
Right. It's getting to the, the root cause of why we feel what we feel and kind of just peeling back the layers because the root cause is it's always somewhere down, mm-hmm. down deep in within us. We know why we act the way we do, why we talk to ourselves the way we do, all of it. But it's it's hidden underneath of the self-doubt mm-hmm. and the fear and all of these different layers that we that we individually have. And so we have to, it's scary to pull back your layers. Yeah. It's scary to do the work. Like we don't, we don't want to go to those places. We don't want to have those conversations, like certainly not with other people, but you know, not with ourselves either. It's hard. And so it's, it's putting it into practice and really, really showing up. Um, And so you really got to see kind of the night and day difference it made in your life and in in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we fast forward a little bit here, the pandemic hits Mm -hmm. and You've always had this fascination. You started working with, you know, this psychologist, and then you also got a therapist. I read in 2020, so you're doing therapy, and that's a non-negotiable for you. As, as I read, Tuesdays mm-hmm. at three o'clock. I don't know if that's <laughs> your schedule now, but got we it. We moved to Wednesdays um, at twelve, but she's still she's still around. <laughs> there you go. Um, I love that. And, and then, so the pandemic hits, and then you decide to also go back to school so that you can you know, really become a therapist yourself and fill an important void, which you found in finding, you know, a woman of color that you wanted as your own personal therapist. So let's talk about, you know, your journey to be, I mean, I'm obsessed with your athlete journey, but I also really just love all the other facets of you. Um, And so, you know, let's talk about what that's like for you right now. And, and that story of what led you to, you know, diving into therapy and now becoming a therapist yourself. Yeah. Well, a lot of my athlete and and personal journey go into like me getting here and studying or working on homework up until the point we, we logged on here. (laughs) Um, I did, like I said, have that that sports psychology experience. Um, I've I've always known that like I want to get into or not get into. I want to stay in the athletic space, but I know that I don't want to coach because one thing that I know about the difference about being an athlete versus being a coach. As an athlete, I can turn it off, right? right. <laughs> I get off times. I you know I've got to recover all the things. As a coach. You got to coach, you got to recruit, you got to come up with workouts. You got to, um, I'm, I'm not committed to it like that, but I want to pay it forward <laughs> to, um, the next generation of athletes. And he, even some of my, my current generation, um, a bit of more details in 2020, I found myself in a predicament that I did not expect. Um, I became a single mom, um, six months postpartum, um, and, my mom was there with me and she looked at me in my eyes and she said, I don't know what you're going to do. You guys may get back together, but what I do know is you need to get into some therapy. Um, And so our breakup happened on a Friday, two days after Christmas. By that Tuesday, I think I was sitting in my therapist's chair. Um, And so- That's an incredible (laughs) turn on time. Yeah, because I I knew and also I was in such a state of shock, naturally. Um, I'm looking at my baby. Um, Also, you know, I'm training for the Olympics at the time. This was before the pandemic hit. Um, So I didn't even know that that was to come, right? Um, But truthfully, coming back from 
this was another point in my career that I'd never experienced. And coming back from having a child, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Not only that, this child is depending on me, you know, before right. if, if I fail, it's okay because <laughs> I can pick myself up, but somebody else is relying on me now. So, you know, right. I was just, how do I deal with this? And I don't know why, what made me search for um, a black female therapist, but that is literally what I put into the search engine. Um, because before then, all of my experiences with psychologists have been older white men. And so I get into therapy <laughs> with, uh, she's still my therapist and still funny. Cause like <laughs> sometimes we, um, reflect on our first session and like I sat down and I just, so this, this, and this happened. And I had my son with me and I was, I'm breastfeeding at the time. Cause he was exclusively breastfed. And so like, I'm pulling my boob out and breastfeeding him. And I'm just like laying all the things out to her. And, um, so I finish, and then she's like, Okay, you have got a lot going I'm on. Glad you're here, <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, okay, so fix it, <laughs> right? Gotcha. Like I did legit didn't even have the time to like process and feel what I what was happening because it's, for me it was like I have to do, you know, I have to make sure that we're all good, and. That's a lot like what being an athlete is. That's a lot like what being a Black woman is in this world. Now layer it being a Black woman in the world of sports. Oftentimes we don't have the luxury to say, hey, I need help. Hey, something is wrong here. The luxury to be vulnerable and say, that, right. like, I don't know what the F, <laughs> you know? I don't know. And that's something that I think resonated with why it was so hard for me to ask for help even before I became right. a mom. Um, when I look at other athletes out there, um, Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, like the courage that it must take that I know that it takes to come out on a global stage and say, right. I'm not okay. And I'm actually not going to take this opportunity that I know is so huge for some or something that I've worked for my entire life this space to feel safe in that. And it's actually only recently, a couple of days, our last session actually that I shared with my therapist that it was actually sitting in her, on her couch at the time before the pandemic hit that I was like, this is what I need to do because it was so hard for me to find a black therapist, number one. And then also thinking about what my experience is as an athlete, but also while not necessarily feeling welcome in the mental health space, knowing that this is what I need. This is what has made the difference from, for me. This is what I have benefited from. Also now, fast forward to me being <laughs> almost done with my program. I've got a little bit less than a year. Um, you know, I said earlier, my past experiences were older white men. I get into the program. All of our theories, modalities, practices are all come from older white European men, rich men wow. at that. Um, right. So to be able to make that connection of like why, you know, certain populations, um, particularly um, BIPOC or LGBTQ, mar just marginalized communities don't trust the mental health space. 
it's even more evident to me why it's important for me to be in this space and others that look like me to be in this space. So I hope to pay it forward by being um, that therapist, but also to encourage others to join the space because we're, we're needed. You already are paying it forward just by doing what you've done already before you even step into that role. Because it is so important for every athlete, not just some athletes, to see representation in and just create space mm -hmm. for your vulnerability. Like that's something that like every athlete should have. And so it is, it's, it's really, I guess, neat and really cool to see, you know, these, these other women who have stepped up and said, like, I'm not okay. And to now see, you know, just the way that athletes and sport is changing to be able to, to create that space. But, you know, it's, it's, I just, I think it's really important what you're doing and to see that void and just be like, I'm not just going to sit here and take that. I'm going to, Put, raise my hand. I'm going to step in and be someone. And then now you've created also your the Natasha Hastings Foundation, where you're creating space for young girls um, to you know be, connect to self love and body image from a very mm -hmm. very young age. Um, so I mean, honestly, it's not really a question. It's more so just like I just think it's really awesome what you're doing. Thank you. And you <laughs> know, my girls and the the foundation was another factor for me to get the clinical training because in sitting in my therapist chair, I was like, this is a lot of what I'm trying to teach younger girls. So actually, let me go get the clinical training so that I can be even more effective. Um, and it's, it's truly speaking to my experiences. And I always say, you know, when your superhero, Naomi Osaka says, I'm not okay, right? Right it makes us more human and relatable. And that was my experience. I had issues with body image. Still to this day, sometimes look at myself like I'm, I'm a mom now. My body has changed, even though right. I'm highly active, you know, but, you know, you were given this body, you have traveled around the world with this, but you've been tremendously successful, mm -hmm. you know, love yourself, speak positively to yourself. And, you know, the, the foundation was another piece where I was like, yeah, this, this is the space that I need to be in. Um, I, I want to have the clinical training and be able to train others to continue to, to, um, impart the message, if you will. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about in terms of like loving yourself, I feel like one of the first things I noticed, you know, when I joined the Under Armour team is like, you know, you've been on the team for so many years. Uh, but when I joined the team, it was like, you know, they celebrate you, they champion you. And I feel like I was like taken, I was like, wow, like I see photos of you and I'm just like, she's like one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. And to like run and compete at the highest level with a beat face, like I want to talk about that. <laughs> First of all, when you started talking, I thought you were talking about the brand loving the female athlete, but thank you. We I'm are going to talk about that too. Honestly, I'm going to receive was... the gas. So, so honestly, it's both. It is both. Like, cause I mean, I think, you know, I just like when I signed on, um, you know, they were just like showing you and like, you know, just the other female athletes that we have on the team and just, you know, yes, I love how they support you and they champion you. And I, what I want to say is that Under Armour, this is a side note, which we can also talk about this too, but <laughs> how Under Armour, I feel like they support their professional athletes, like 
even when they're not in season and when they aren't succeeding all the time. And I think that's my favorite thing about the brand is like, you know, you might have, you know, where you don't perform at your highest or you don't win or you don't qualify or you don't whatever it is. And they're still there to champion you. And that is why I love the brand so, 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 so much. They're there in your corner year round, which is cool. And in season, off season, whatever. Um, so we could talk about that definitely. But then I also <laughs> want to talk about not that this was a Under Armour sponsored uh, thing. But I no, mean, it's, it's not. It's, this is real. I feel it's the truth. Um, you know, going back to 2012, not making the team, they stood by me. Having my child going through my pregnancy, um, that's another part of my story that um, is unique to other female athletes, where um, I was afraid to tell them that I was pregnant. In fact, I was about five months when I finally did tell them. Um, They actually apologized to me (laughs) for the way that I felt (laughs) and were super congratulatory. And then the human performance team got involved and helped with, you know, my strategy and plan from up to delivery and after, you know, postpartum. Um, So yes, like, talking about, you know, sometimes there's the argument of like separating womanness from athlete, but it's like, I'm a whole person. And a part of my experience is being a a woman and it's, there's no part that isn't honored, um, as far as my athlete experience and how they, they support me. So that we, you, you, you can cut this out if you want to, but shout out to them (laughs) because this was not the plan, the, the point. Um, but okay. Your original question. Beat face. <laughs> yes. Is that, that's not like n- normal. Like most women don't have a, like a beat face when they run. Like we're supposed to be athletes. We mean business. Like, you know, and you've got like these beautiful, gorgeous lashes and usually like a very bold lip. And you literally look like a supermodel running around the track. Mm-hmm. And I think like just from my own standpoint, like I'm a soul cycle instructor. I wear a full face of makeup when I teach a soul cycle class because I'm going to work and I'll ask other women. I'm like, well, do you wear makeup at work? You do? Cool. Me too. Like I'm working out. Okay. But so, I'm wearing makeup. So that's literally my argument or part of the argument I should say, because I did get some pushback um, and I'm not the first to do it. I mean, let's, let's go back to Flo Joe, Gail Devers. It might not have been a full face of makeup, but like the long nails, the, the stylish uniform, like, showing up to work for work, you know, um, here at South Carolina, uh, coach Fry, I, I nicknamed our team, the Gamecock divas. Um, (laughs) but that was big for coach Fry. Coach Fry would say, you know, he would tell us don't come down for competition. He, he didn't like emphasize the whole like makeup and stuff, but it was like, guys need to have their haircut, their lineup, girls, be put together, look presentable, your representation of yourself and us, the university, your coaches, your family, blah, blah, blah. Then fast forward to me being a professional. I didn't get into the whole beat face thing until I became a professional. I am on television, okay? (laughs) I am, there is a piece of athletics and I do feel like this is some of what's lost in my sport in particular is the entertainment of it all. Sometimes track can be kind of boring because, you know, we're just kind of like stoic and we perform and, and by perform, I mean, we do our event and we walk off the track. Um, But when you look at other sports, like we connect with like your celebration dance or your excitement after you made this crazy shot, you know, and 
So like I'm showing up for work, you know, somebody might tweet me and ask me, what was that lipstick? It's 400 metadiva.com, you know, war paint. But no, and then, I mean, just lastly, like Prime said it best. You look good, you feel good, you feel good, you perform good. So it, it's it's all of the things for me. I did face some ridicule in the beginning of my career about it. Um, and I did have to kind of develop some thick skin towards it. And, you know, I used to get comments like, oh, you would be much better if you wouldn't worry about, you know, your makeup. And it's like, it takes me 10 minutes to do my makeup. If this 10 minutes is the reason why I had a bad race, then I've actually got some bigger concerns here. So, you know. I I just love it. Like, <laughs> it, and I think it's it goes back into like a mindset piece. Like you said, it is a mindset piece before you even de- like dove all the way into that, you know, s- studying that and really stepping into your own v- vulnerability. But it, it, it's just a basic thing. Look good, feel good. Yeah. Even throughout the pandemic, I, I remember I got to a place where I was like, man, I've been, we, we're not going anywhere. We're in the house. Right. So you find yourself yeah. in pajamas all day. And then right. I finally got to a point where I was like, mm, let me just throw on some clothes so I can just same. feel like, you know, myself. Yeah. I did the same thing. I'd be like, oh my God, it's 1230. I haven't brushed my teeth yet, actually. Like, we're going to need to take care of that. We're going to need to put some makeup on, get dressed for the day. Like, even if you're not going anywhere, that was the same for me. I was like, I got to. And you're so much more productive, right? Like, just by just taking care of yourself. It's really is psychological. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, but it's basic. And it's like, okay, this is what I need to be well today. This is what I need to be well. So how has it been balancing motherhood and being an athlete? I don't like that word balance. (laughs) Okay, good. You know what? I like that. Let's throw that out. Um, You know, I am learning to embrace my journey. Um, And I think that that is something that I will always, I don't think I'll ever stop learning because I am a recovering perfectionist Patty. (laughs) And what I have learned is that if I try to hold myself to this ridiculous, perfect standard, that it's just not possible. And I've come to realize, like, I have a lot on my plate. I'm a single mom. I'm training. I'm in school. And I work (laughs) to show up well to all of those things every single day. It's just not possible. Um, So number one, the ability to ask for help, lean on your village. That has been (laughs) from day one, you know, the, the idea that, again, I became a single mom at six months. Thank God for the pandemic in a way, because, you know, my mom was already with me because the plan was, you know, she's going to be there to support me training for the Olympics. And then my brother ended up coming down and quarantining with us, too. But that support that I had to help raise my son, but also be able to go out and train and then enroll in school at the same time, you know, I I needed my village. And then, you know, I, I have this idea of how I want to parent speaking to what we talked about earlier about what we learned from our parents. I'm a firm believer that my mom, I mean, for for most of my life, my mom raised me as a single mom. She did. I think she is fantastic. I think she can't mash ants, we say in in Trinidad. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and she did the best that she could with what she had. Um, But there's some things that I want to do differently with my son. And, you know, there are some days that I don't necessarily show up the way that I wanted to show up to parenting. And I've had to learn to give myself grace and, you know, be willing to 
hey, son, mommy's really tired right now. I one one thing that one of the big things right now is he is physical touch is his love language. Okay, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out if this is like some of the developmental thing. Um, or if this is like really his love language, but it ain't mama's love language. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, meeting him where he is, but also healthily setting a boundary that like, Hey, mommy's tapped out right now. I still love you, but you know, maybe let's sit here and hold hands instead of you actually sitting on top of me. Um, and it's, it's healthy for me because boundaries is, is one thing that like going into my next relationship that I'm like, sis, you got to have this down pat. (laughs) Um, So, but also teaching him that like, I love that you have this love language. I love that you, I I don't want you to ever, especially as a black boy, be afraid to express your emotions and your love language, but we're going to do it with some boundaries, you know, but I don't always show up that way. (laughs) Some days I'm like, oh, Liam, please not right now. And then I have to come back like, you know, I'm here doing homework. I messaged my classmates a minute ago, like, y'all, I'm spacing out on looking for these peer-reviewed articles. You know, sometimes I'm a better student than others. But that word grace that we talked about in in New York, right? Um, Being able to give myself that grace that I'm not always going to show up how I want to in each of those roles, but it's about prioritizing and knowing that I'm not going to be perfect and giving myself this space to do that. So I don't know that balance truly exists um, because there are some days that like, I really just want to be fully present at home with my son. But the reality is some work or something has to be done and I can't necessarily do that. But then there are other days that I can. So I just kind of give myself the space and the grace to embrace where I am each day and and adjust accordingly. Give yourself the space and the grace to embrace where you are and adjust accordingly. That's a great line right there. <laughs> that's, that's a good line. Um, so what is what are you working on now? Tell everyone. And uh, what's next for you? Um, I am in the final 11 months of my graduate program. Um, (laughs) it has been a marathon, but it feels like a sprint, honestly. Um, I'm here at the university of South Carolina. Thankfully, my college coach gave me an opportunity to come here and get my degree for free. Not really for free because I have to work, but, (laughs) you know, student loans are insane. Um, but no. I am currently studying. Um, I'm debating doing my doctorate degree. Um, My intention is to move into the sports counseling space, um, but I also want to work in, like I said earlier, the BIPOC communities and um, really destigmatize, demystify the uh, therapy process and what mental health looks like um, and and really advocate that mental health is wealth, essentially. Also bringing it back to the brand, I am in the process. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but um, I'm currently still competing, but we're in the process of me transitioning into um, a position with the human performance team. And again, working with athletes in the mindful mental health space um, and how that can improve their performance. So uh, Natasha Hastings Foundation, we're kind of slowly picking back up. I had to table it for a little while because balance. Right. (laughs) 
Um, but um, we're we're going to be giving. We gave some scholarships last week for girls um, that competed in high school nationals. But in the coming year, we want to revamp our programming around the body image and competing through puberty and and all that stuff. That's a lot. <laughs> Very impressive. All good things. Amazing things. Um, you. Hopefully, you know, we kind of covered all of it in a, a small way here and there. There's so much to cover and so many impressive things that you have done and you are doing. Um, but yeah, so I will leave you with one last question, which is what is the biggest or best piece of advice that you would give your former self, younger, younger Natasha? What would you tell her? Take a deep breath and it's going to be okay. I say I'm, I'm, I'm currently learning to and practicing. Um, you don't have to sweep how you feel under a rug. You're not wrong for how you feel. Acknowledge how you feel and give yourself the things that you need to fulfill that, that need. Um, and that takes practice, but you'll get there. <laughs> That was that was a mouthful. Can I just say this was also an honor to be here. I don't get <laughs> in the athletic space um, very many opportunities to speak about things that are important to me besides my performance on the track. So thank you for what you do and, and this opportunity. Of course. Thank you so much for being on. You really were awesome. I mean, I just wanted to kind of extend the conversation that we had uh, when we met in New York. Uh, and I just think you're awesome. So thanks so much for being on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. So that was Natasha Hastings. Um, like I said, I'm a really big fan of hers. I had the opportunity to connect with her when we were at the Under Armour Summit back now, what was it, in just a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, and so was it the end of May, I think it was, or maybe first week in June, and sit on a panel with her and discuss mindset. And I was really kind of just drawn to her just she's so down to earth. She's so approachable. Um, and I just really, I don't know. I, was, I think I was just super connected to her energy and just who she, she is as a human. And I knew right away that I had to have her on the podcast, uh, just to kind of talk about her experience as an athlete and her experience kind of diving into the mindset space and how it's so important to her. And I think one of the specific moments that really kind of stuck with me through that, you know, interview that we just listened to was, how she was talking to herself when she got on the starting line and how she was just talking down to herself and then how it was night and day, the difference it made when she started speaking to herself in a more loving way um, and the difference it made in her career, the difference it made in the level of success that she was able to reach. Uh, and so I think that's such a valuable lesson for all, all of us, you know, a huge takeaway. And I say that because it's not a new thing, right? We've heard it, especially on this podcast, many times over, the importance of speaking to yourself kindly and, and really granting yourself grace. We've heard it so many times, and I talk about it certainly a lot on here. But to have someone at her level really speak to the night and day effect that it had on her performance, I think that's just 
it's, it's major. It's the biggest takeaway to see that and to hear that, you know, just imagine in all of our lives, how in a year's time, how things can change and things can shift in your life. If you replace some of those negative thoughts with positive ones and you talk to yourself a little bit more kindly and you speak to yourself with a little more compassion, uh, I don't think that that is something that only translates to athletic performance and athletic success, I think it goes across the board. Uh, and anything that we do, I think we'll notice a giant shift in our relationships, in our careers, in anything that we care about and how we show up to the things that we care about. Uh, so I think that was one of the biggest takeaways for me. Uh, and I hope that there were some aha moments for you and some light bulb moments and, you know, definitely follow Natasha on Instagram and all that she's doing, because I know I mentioned it at the top of this episode, but she's such a multifaceted human being. And I just felt really drawn to her energy and yeah, just a dope human. So I hope you loved this episode and I will see you guys next week. Follow us on Instagram at very best self. Give me a follow on Instagram at Victoria Brown. And you know, you know, you know that we really, really appreciate your five stars and your review on wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, so thank you guys. And I'll see you next week. 